0: What is up, listening faithful? Welcome back to another episode of the Keystone Chronicles podcast. With us this week, the hungry huntsman himself, Mr. Gunnar Inberg. Guys, this episode was a little bit for me, I believe, because I've been following Gunner for a while now, and uh, the plates that he's making will make your mouth water. Guys, check him out over at the hungry huntsman. The shit he's doing is really, really cool if you are into cooking wild game like I am. The background on this feller is pretty good, man. He's got a crazy story going and, and I think you really enjoy the conversation that we get into. He's from the Allegheny National Forest Area up there in northern Pennsylvania. He was a combat vet here. He's a forest foraging wild game cooking machine. He has his own line of spice. Check that out. This episode, we go over... Oh, uh, thoughts of an entrepreneur, some different types of recipes that he likes to cook, some ways to butcher or look at wild game and, and maybe from a different scope of view that some of us are used to. And then of course, you know, I had to pick his brain on some of the things that we do here in Pennsylvania and things that we could change or things that we really love. I want to thank Gunner for coming through. Really appreciated the conversation with him. Guys, don't be afraid to reach out to him. He's got so much going for him. And if you guys have a camp somewhere and you're looking for a wild game chef, well, by golly, you found him. So, guys, you know how it always goes. Rate, comment, subscribe really helps the show moving forward. Gunner, thank you so much for coming through. And, guys, I want to remind you, get out there and shoot your damn bow. All right, it's time to start getting ready for the season. Some of you may have your cameras out, and you may be working out, getting in a little better shape than you were. Let's do it, man. Let's let's push it moving forward. Let's get ready for this deer season coming up. I think that I got a little bit of fishing left in me, not too long, and it's going to be full bore there out in the woods doing some scouting. So here we go. I appreciate it, guys. Right, Ladies and gentlemen, got a great show lined up for you here tonight. Uh, I've been chasing this fella around for a little bit, and... The Stars have a line. Mr. Gunnar Emberg, how are you, brother?
1: Good man, how are you?
0: Good man, good man. What a hell of a day I had. Honest to God, I I, I was at work for all uh, 13 hours and I came home, I ate some Chinese. Uh, I had I had some general sos or or as or as a kid likes to call it the general toes. And um <laughs> I'm ready to rock and roll, brother. Uh, we were chatting a little bit before we come on and before we go any further, man, I would like for you to introduce yourself. Let us know who you are and where you're from. Yeah, absolutely, man. So I'm Gunnar Enberg. Uh, grew up here in Pennsylvania in the Allegheny National
1: Forest region. Um, you know, grew up hunting fishing, and everything like that. Joined the Navy right out of high school and made my way back here, surprisingly. Unlike 90% of the kids that went to my school, they're like, I can't wait to leave here. And <laughs> here I am. I love it. I'll never leave. I always look forward to coming home and you know through the course of my whole life i have developed my own kind of persona per se that is the hungry huntsman which is a wild game chef that i try to you know teach people that hey you can do these high-end dishes you can use wild game at home really simply it's not that hard to do these dishes that you see on tv you know Mm -hmm.
0: yep absolutely man yeah yeah the, the shit that you're doing is awesome brother i i love it i think that um I think more people can look up to what you're doing and kind of take that path. Because even like me, myself, I, I love cooking. And when it comes to wild game, like that's all I really want to eat. We buy very, very little meat, you know, now don't get me wrong. I'm a sucker for steaks and stuff. And I'll buy a couple, you know, a couple pounds of beef a year and all that. But, um, when it comes to to venison, that's the that's the staple of this household, and that's what the whole family family's built on. I, I don't think without venison that, that we'd even be around to be honest. But oh yeah, yep. um, So you know, you you started your journey as being a chef, but way back before that, man, you you have a really cool story, and and I and I really want to want to hear some more of it. So you know, yeah. let's talk like you know you going into high school. Were, were you an outdoorsman for then? Did you have any mentors that that kind of showed you the way? Like kind of how was your upbringing?
1: so our family, like we have a family camp here in the uh, ANF, right mm-hmm. and we've had that since 1954 it is tradition where you know opening day rifle there's 15 20 people at camp we're all family yeah we hunt you know first sure. day first two days or something like that and then that's about it that's about all i did growing up you know i'd maybe go up and i'd fish opening day but i didn't really care You know, if my cousins wanted to take me out turkey hunting or something, yeah, I'd go. But, you know, nothing too, too crazy. And then, you know, like, yeah, I liked being outside and stuff, but I was your typical kind of redneck teenager in a way. (laughs) You know, I'd like four-wheeling all over the place, wrecking (laughs) my truck everywhere and everything like that. (laughs) Right, right. You know, me being me, too, and being influenced by my dad, we're very strong-minded and we're very, uh, we don't like to go with the green. We like to go against it, right? So all my buddies going to college. I was like, man, if I go to college, like it's not going to work out well for me. So I joined the Navy right out of high school, like three weeks after I graduated, I was in Chicago for boot camp, you know, and um, went through that, became a corpsman, which is essentially a combat medic Um, did that for five years. And, you know, I got out and everything, but my, I think, what was it? I left 2012, Got to my first command in 2013, and one of my buddies who was my boss at the time—he's—he's he's one of my best friends to this day. Like I, I talk to him regularly all the time. He was like, "Hey man, like, I'm going to the bow shop down the road. Like, do you want to go?" He's like, "I know you like hunting and stuff." And I was like, "Oh yeah, whatever. Like I have boot camp money. Like screw it. Yeah, I'll buy a bow. You know." And yep, I fell in love with it there, <laughs> right? And yeah. I had no idea what I was doing either, right? Wait. So, me being me, too, my mind is always naturally going and naturally going and everything, and I was like, okay, well, how do I learn about archery, right? Started looking into stuff, and this was, you know, back before Dudley was huge and everything like that. Like, I was watching his videos in 2013, 2014, and learning all of this stuff and looking at the Ashby files and everything like that. You know, I was shooting my bow at the time, and mind you, I've only been shooting archery for you know, two three months at the time, I was drilling targets out of eighty yards, and I'm like, man, like, it, like, what what happened here? Like, where did this click? Like, I didn't, I never done this in my life. How did this click, right? And right. Just kind of continued from there. It Kind of tapered off towards the end. Um, got into a bunch of other scary stuff where like I couldn't really hunt all the time and everything like that. So I kind of gave it up for a bit and got out. And I took like the whole year before I got out to. Decided, like, what do I want to do? You know, I'm not staying in the military, but, like, do I get a job? Do I go to college? You know, what do I want to do? Right. Decided, okay, I'll go to college here. I'll give that a shot. You know, everybody does it, whatever. It's in my head at the time. I'm like, oh, that's what you need to have a good job, yada, yada, yada. Mm -hmm. And turns out that is not the case at all. But Mm -hmm. got out, and I was like, I want to be outside, though. I love being outside. So I went for environmental science, hated it because I was going to have to do, like, analytical calculus and stuff, and that that's not me. Like, I, I love math, but, like, when I get to write mm-hmm. it on a piece of paper, I'm not uh, – no thank you, you know? hmm Yep. So transferred campuses to uh, Penn State Dubois, actually, and went for their wildlife program, and I was like, oh, this is going to be awesome. Love wildlife, everything like that. Nope. Turns out I hated that, too. It was <laughs> – more research and a lot of the beliefs that i have are very much like i want to be one with nature i want to be a part of nature i don't want to mess with it at all like that's not that's not my uh oh what's the word i'm looking for it's not your forte not necessarily forte but it's not my place okay to go and mess with nature you know what i mean yeah i should be a
0: part of it yeah Mm -hmm. yeah i see what you're saying
1: so Uh i was like well I had a dendrology course where I learned on my trees, like I love that stuff because that actually helps nature and doesn't necessarily interfere with it directly one-on-one that I can, you know, I'm not going out and tackling the deer and putting a sock over its head to put a collar on it, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And uh, so ended up working a forestry internship. I was like, all right, I like this. I'll get a job. And uh, Kenny Kane, I don't know if you've heard of him either. He, He's been on Bo's podcast and stuff, so he actually hired me. I went to high school with him. Um, he hired me for a little bit, and then I left for the Forest Service. That wasn't my gig either, and ended up going to this brewery that I was at for a while.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And uh, all the while, though, I'm doing research. I'm building bows. I'm starting to learn how to build my own arrows and all of this, tune my bows and everything, you know. And really, like in college, honest to God, man, I think I spent 10, 11 grand on sick of gear to, you know, like in my head too, I'm like, okay, I don't need this to hunt better, but if I have the gear, then it lets me know that I'm the failure and not the gear, you know? You
0: make a great point. Yeah.
1: And that, that's all of my stuff is very high end because of that, because if I know that it's right, then I'm the only variable here that can be wrong. Right.
0: Yeah. Yep. For sure.
1: So going through all of that, And uh, really, really, you know, started really falling in love with hunting and everything, became field staff for serious archery products at one point, still with him uh, today. And, uh, you know, I ended up having a buddy, the buddy I was talking about, you know, prior to us recording, Mm -hmm. who is my competition barbecue guy. He worked with me there, too. He loved craft beer, too so you know we got to talking and stuff and he's like man like it's it's really not that hard to cook for a bunch of people All you have to do is scale your recipes up and get a bigger dish and I was like okay so I saw Bo put out the his first like mountain buck scouting camp yeah um one I think it was 2022 he put that out and I reached out to him you know I kind of knew him here and there from I grew up a town over from him we kind of have some family connections and stuff and I reached out and I was like hey Let me come cook it, you know, at least lunch, you know, right? hot dogs, hamburgers, whatever it is. I don't care, you know, pay for the food. I don't even care if I get paid, but I want to start, I want to try this. i want to get my name out there and Bo let me come and do it. And then he had me cook a dinner for the instructors at night as well. And apparently I did so good that like Bo came up and paid me an extra 150 bucks after this too. He was like, damn, like that was too good not to pay you more, you know? And
0: that's awesome.
1: I went back to the brewery and I was like, Hey, like, this is what I'm doing for the rest of my life. And that's it. Like I'm done. So left there went to in, in my mind too. I'm like, all right, what can I do that will further my career? Teach me a skill or something. Right. Half a block down the road is a very famous butcher shop in PA called Bell's meat and poultry. And I grew up with the guys that run it. Like there were some of my best friends growing up and I was like, I popped in one day cause I was getting lunch or whatever. And like, like, you know, talking to him and somehow the topic of a job came up and he's like well, i might as well just hire you right now and i walk out of there and i'm like oh yeah maybe like let's give it a shot so i shot him a text and that was it i started right then and there pretty much went through that for a whole year and now i'm on my own cooking doing my rub stuff putting out content and everything like that
0: mm-hmm. yeah you're 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 kicking ass, man. I, I'm telling you. And, you know, I, I want to point something out that you said earlier, and this will probably make sense to you. But, you know, you said, uh, you know, like myself, my mind's always racing. And, you know, I have a correlation between people that just can't stop. And, you know, they're they always thinking, thinking further and thinking further. And all of my friends and the people that I know that have that kind of mindset are an entrepreneur of some some kind, right, or some form, you know, and, and that's just I think that that's just a testament to what entrepreneurs are. And there's a couple episodes I've done on this with other entrepreneurs. And I'm telling you, you'll go back and you'll listen. The same thing is said. And uh, it, it's no different for me. I've been a DJ for 16 years and it, it's the same thing. I, I, my yeah. mind's always racing. I'm always looking for the next, how can I make this better? Or, uh, you know, should I try to do to go down this road and try this out? Or should I try this out? And I, oh, yeah. they're always trying new things, you know? and it's it is it's the way that that it is for an entrepreneur i believe and then like we were talking on before what's better than waking up on a frost morning and not having to go to work and parking your ass in the truck seat and driving to the to the hunting spot
1: exactly and that (laughs) like my schedule right now i have it set to where i work four days a week i have friday through sunday off and you know Half ago, I worked Friday through Tuesday. I had Wednesday, Thursday off, and I'm like, "This sucks. I can't do anything on weekends." And now it's like, "I can do whatever the hell I want." Right. And I can still make money doing it.
0: You know. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's that's it, man. You're you're living you're living it. Uh, yeah. I'm I'm jealous. It's it's <laughs> it's awesome, man. And uh, I don't even want to say I'm jealous, you know, because I could always go down that road myself. Um, oh yeah. Just uh, uh, the stars are not aligned for me in, in that direction yet. Yet, at least, um, if, if that's a plan I, I ever m- want to make, I'll, I'll go yeah. down that road. But, um, you know, you grew up in the Allegheny National Forest. And, man, it's awesome that you wanted to go back there. And you love being there because I'm in the same boat. I think Pennsylvania is an awesome state for outdoorsmen to live in. I have oh, yeah. had experience in multiple other states. And I'm not saying that we're better than anyone else. But this is a great place to live if you're an outdoorsman. You know, we we have top-notch trout fishing. I mean, top of the food chain. Oh yeah. We have great deer, and um, I actually gave a shout out to him just on the other episode the other day. But I want to give him another shout out, and that is a lot to do with Dr. Gary Alt and what he did with the antler restrictions. As much absolutely. As, imagine the freaking death threats, man! <laughs> imagine the. Death, oh, I know. You know what I I'm know. saying? And it's wild because even like when I was growing up in the family i was raised in you know it was like that ah, son of a bitch you know and yep. um that's what you thought and that's what what you were taught and then when you seen them work it was like dude we got we got some some really nice bucks coming out of pennsylvania oh
1: yeah it, it's starting to get insane too and mm-hmm. just with the circles i run in too, i'm seeing more and more elite level hunters you know like the guys that you kind of worship on, you know, social media, the guys you would wait in line to meet and stuff like that. Right. They're starting to hunt Pennsylvania because not a lot of people know about it yet. Uh, and it is getting, Yeah, I mean, they're killing, you know, regularly 140, 150, 160 inch deer just right out my back door sometimes, you know?
0: I, I. Yes, I've seen some pictures and you know, I I have some guys slotted for some for some episodes later that have killed some giant deer up that way and yeah. uh, you know the thing is it's not just up that way anymore and um, No, yeah. You know, as you I would say as you get west of of like the Harrisburg area, you know, I don't mm-hmm. want to I don't want to spot I don't want to put stuff in the spotlight too much, but if you are taking <laughs> notice, you know, the soil gets a little bit better. Oh yeah. As you get out that way and uh man, there's just some hammers coming, coming out of PA, man. And it's exciting. And, you know, the other thing I want to say is a lot of guys just get mad about like non-resident hunting and stuff. But I'm telling you guys, we like, we need to welcome that stuff too, because yeah, the amount of revenue and especially like for you, you know, like if you're going to put something together for hunters, and, and this guy has a camp somewhere or something and he does a game feed and he has Gunner come and feed everybody like, hell yeah. We want to open our arms to, to other, you know, people from other States and tell them, Hey, you know, come up, host, we'll host your ass we'll, and, and we'll take your money too.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's the thing. And I, I was just doing, I wrote an article about the, uh, I guess you could say blunder of uh, this year's license sales mm-hmm. for PGC mm-hmm. and, uh, I was doing a little bit of number crunching and everything too on, you know, average license sales and stuff like that. And I think within the last 10, 11 years, we average right around 900,000 license sales per year. And only about 50,000 of those on average, 50 to 55 on average, are non-resident. Right. You know, and it's like, there's, you know, more people in two blocks of Pittsburgh than that. And everybody's kinda of complaining about them, how oh, they're coming in to hunt this land and stuff. And it's like that not at all. Like that's it's not really a big deal. There's a lot fewer than you think that are actually coming. They just all kinda of congregate to one area because it's all public land. Yep.
0: No, you hit it you hit it right on the head, man. And that's that's the beauty of Pennsylvania though, man. We have so much freaking land and that's why I don't understand, you know. I'll see people get online and be like, I don't have nowhere to hunt. Right. And I'm like, well, you know, it's not that nobody wants to help you. Like, I'm all for helping you. Like, you sure as hell ain't going to hunt my land because <laughs> that's, you know, that's sacred ground, you know. But, right. But I know of land that you can hunt, and everybody, for some reason, thinks the private land, oh, you got to hunt private land, you got to hunt private land, and that's just not the case. Like, I'm not no. saying that it's easier or it's not easier because some private land that I hunt, I think it's harder than hunting the game lands, to be honest with you. Oh, absolutely, yeah because of the pressure, you know, and uh, I don't, I, we have so many game lands and not just game lands, public lands, you know, like you, Allegheny national forest. I mean, it's, you can get lost in there and that's, Oh yeah, absolutely. It's really wild to even be able to say that for, for Pennsylvania, you know, when you get out West and shit. Yeah, of course, you know, there's no roads for miles and miles and miles, but I, I want to say I read something and it said how many miles, up in Allegheny national forest is a certain spot to a certain spot that you can go, go without hitting a road. And that's really impressive for, you know, for Allegheny national forest because, Oh,
1: especially for Pennsylvania too, which I think we're considered pretty high up there in population density per se, mm-hmm. just with, uh, like how many votes we get per year or, you know, for elections and stuff like that. Like we're pretty up there, right? Yeah, for sure. we have Erie, Philly, Altoona, you know, Reading, and all that stuff. And, uh, Pittsburgh and stuff but once you leave those areas there there's nothing yep. you know like it's very woods and everything like that and I uh I had an old uh, old buddy of mine kind of family at this point pretty much and he's he's now since passed um he reloaded all my guns for me and everything and very old school like I attribute him kind of to Fred Bear right like that that's who this guy kind of was to me right and uh, he was telling me at one point, like way back in the 70s and 80s and stuff, he's like, you always, you had these yeah, conservationist groups that would come in and be like, oh, like you're cutting all the trees down look at all these clear cuts and stuff. And they would come up here and change their mind because there's like, oh, you, that's all you cut compared to, I like, I haven't not seen a tree in two days, you know, like it's nothing but forest up here at this point.
0: Yep. Yeah. Yep. And dude, that's that's what's wild about everything too, because people for some reason, man, I, I don't like, I don't understand how people aren't educated enough on the fact that like we we need to be open to them cutting the forest, right? Because I see a lot of guys, well, they they went up and they freaking cleared cut everything, and, yeah, and now now we're we ain't gonna have no deer. Or, or right. you know what I mean? And then you you try to explain to them like, that's not what's going on, just so you know. No. Or they're burning the forest down. <laughs> there's yeah. there's a reason. I promise. There's there's a reason behind all this. And oh, absolutely. That's or, a lot of. The...
1: Oh, go ahead.
0: Or, or or a lot of guys, you know, like the doe hunting. That's such a hot topic. You know, like oh, yeah. we're, gonna, we're gonna shoot all the does. And listen, there's a reason why we're shooting the does, right? And and whether whether people want to believe it or not. You can have too many doe's and what happens is they fucking eat everything and they right. can't live no more because there's nothing to eat and they die of starvation. They'll kill off the bucks because exactly. there's just nothing to eat. Exactly. And yeah. they can they can decimate a forest, man. I mean, it's proven. And that's the difference between now and then because people used to think, you know, I, and I remember the 3-day doe, you know, yeah. we we would go out, man, and see doe and doe, I mean, like there was there was herds of 40, 50 deer and you'd see 40 to 50 doe. And then you'd see three to four bucks behind the doe. But you're talking a four point to three point, maybe a six point, you know, like an eight point was a very coveted deer. <laughs> right. And yeah. you know, there, yeah, don't get me wrong. Guys got 10 points and 12 points and stuff like that in certain areas. But like, you know, if, if dad was bringing home a six point, like, you know, I still look at it, those antlers to this day. And I'm like, you know, I remember those days that was, you know, the days of oh, I got my buck. If you were, if you remember what I'm saying. So, oh yeah. But now it's a different game, man, and and things have changed. And yeah, we may not see the amount of deer that we used to see, and I and I understand that. You know, I was raised on that and blessed to see the amount of deer I did. But at the same time, you know, now you see six doe and you see three bucks, and two of them are probably shooters, and that's just the the trade off that you make for for better deer, a better deer population.
1: Oh, absolutely, yeah, and it's it's insane too to think you know a lot of these guys are uh, you know all the clear cuts and everything like that, and it's like, listen, the timber industry in Pennsylvania, I I believe last I heard was a four billion dollar industry a year. We are the largest hardwood manufacturer in the entire country at this point. Yeah, and we kind of have to help control the deer population to fund that you know and that that here's the thing too is okay these guys that are bitching about that they just built a brand new garage well where did that lumber come from right you know (laughs) where did all of that stuff come from probably somewhere in pennsylvania at this point you know say you have tongue and groove floors that probably came from pennsylvania you know and it's these guys don't realize that that listen there's a trade-off that you have to have happen yeah you can have nice floors and you can build your house and you can build a garage but you might not see 40 deer a year you're still going to see deer if you know how to hunt and you don't hunt like you're lazy you're going to put the work in but there's a trade-off that has to happen and a lot of these older generation hunters are starting to get pissed off about that and that's that's just nature of the beast with those guys yep
0: yeah man I'm, i'm i'm right there with you and you know I like we were talking about them doing the clear cuts and stuff, and i I just I really wish people understood like what that does for a deer herd, and when it's done right, you know the the oh, only yeah. thing that I have seen that maybe possibly hurt is possibly the turkeys, and the only reason is like you know I've been told that they'll get in that, and then when the predators get in there, you know they can't get up in the air quick enough to get away from a predator because the the cover's so heavy above them,
1: oh yeah, and that yeah, and we kind of have a little bit of a problem with Turkey and PA. However, the amount of species that these clear cuts help as well, not just deer, but you know, your small game species, your rabbit, your squirrel, your weasels, your minks, your fishers, everything like that. Your Mm -hmm. snakes as well, along with the uncountable amount of birds that it helps as well. Mm -hmm. I'll trade off a couple turkeys for the, you know, two thousand percent of other species that it helps right compared to that, you know.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, we were just talking even with the deer. Like we have to we have to find oh, yeah. that line and walk it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And um, you know, I I will say, and I know that this would probably be a hot topic for some people, but sometimes I feel like I wish that they had a hand in maybe doing a little bit of management on like National Forest ground. And I know you know yep. that 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 is definitely a fine line, but like, you know, when I look out west, you know, California is a great example and you, you don't have any fire lanes or any fire blocks cut anywhere, in these fires. I mean, they they're not able to get in there, and cut any trees or make any, right. any anything to to help blockade. And I mean, look look up north, man. Freaking Canada's on fire, and you can't even breathe outside. Oh, and, and that's I'm looking out my window right now, and it's it's nothing but smoke still. You know, it's been like this man. for three days. Yeah, and... I'm I'm telling you, the other morning there when it was foggy and the, the, the smoke, it was wild. I we were on, we were on the tracks we couldn't see nothing. I mean, it was just, it's crazy, man. It's, it it reminded me of that movie, uh, Stephen King, the fog or whatever that movie was called. (laughs) I was waiting for them to blow that whistle or, or hit that, that horn or whatever. But, um, I wanted to jump in, you know, you, you, you have a background in some survival stuff. Yeah. And, um, what, what's, you know, what exactly was your training and what, you know, how, how did that come about?
1: Uh, so I had a lot of military training on that, just, uh, nature of the beast was my job. You know, I could get deployed wherever basically. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, learn how to survive because not like with my job too, being a medic too, like it was my job to keep people alive as well. You know, it wasn't, Hey, I just got to go survive. It's now I got to keep all of these guys living basically. Right. And, uh, well, yeah, that was part of it. A lot of it was really self-taught and, you know, I ended up getting in with a group that, uh, you know, I really like these guys and everything. And they helped me get a certification for Canada, actually, for a system wilderness guide up there as well. Um, that, you know, it's, it's really survival-based. And it's not just, okay, how to navigate and stuff. It's like, hey, here's how to, okay, plan for short-term survival. Here's how to plan. Because if it's August and you get lost up there, winter comes in september right. like you have a month to get ready for winter you know and it's hey we gonna start building shelter right now and you know yeah you're gonna have to cut 40 trees down to make one hut but it's gonna be worth the effort and the time as long as you have the energies to sustain it and everything and after that i kind of just delved right into okay like how can how can i eat out here if i if i can't kill anything right and you know looking at various parts of trees that you can eat like you can eat the inner bark of a hemlock that has so much vitamin c in it that it will cure scurvy actually right yeah and you know all of these different pieces and stuff that can keep you alive that people have no idea about you know it's crazy it's and i i don't want to be that guy that's like oh you know i do great on the show or whatever but that like naked and afraid and stuff like that it's like Mm -hmm. you see these guys trying to survive and stuff and it's like I've spotted trees there that you could live off of and they don't take advantage of it at all. You know? Right.
0: Yeah, man. Granted,
1: the... I'm not in that situation at all. I don't know what I would do, but in the back of my mind, I'm like, I, I look at these things all day and I know what I can eat out of these.
0: And you know, ha, ha, so ha, I guess, did you have a mentor for foraging? Because that's something that I'm, you know, I, I really want to lean into a little bit more and, yeah. uh, you know i know a guy and he's just so freaking busy and i wish you know, he'd get a little more time for me which i'm sure he will but uh h- how did you come about learning that stuff because you know especially when you're dealing with mushrooms and shit like shit can get dangerous or, or you can get sick pretty quickly so how
1: oh, did you yeah. no. um honestly like I, it was all self-taught for the uh, most part i would that's... uh i buy the peterson's guides mm-hmm. and i would just read them over and over and over and Try to think of something out in the field if I see it, you know, like, oh, okay, what's that? And I didn't really delve into a lot of mushrooms to begin with because I was like, those are going to be hairy. That's going to take a while to learn. What can I learn now that's easily identifiable that I know I cannot mess this up? You know, like, I know what a hemlock tree is. There's no other tree that looks like it, you know, stuff like that. And then slowly and slowly I get into more mushrooms and stuff. And even then, like, I'm still... i I, like if i have to survive out in the woods i'm probably not gonna eat a mushroom unless it's like i know 100 percent certain that's what this is you know
0: right definitely not a go-to but you know moving into that what are some of the things that you love to forage for and then you use them to cook with
1: some i mean naturally some of my favorite are mushrooms um yeah like you have your chicken in the woods hen in the woods morels which morels are very hard to find up here but like my property i can grow chanterelles on like i found them out there um you know there's various mushrooms out here but that that's not really my thing is like oh okay here's the ones that everybody knows about like i'll grab a puffball before it spores and you can do a ton of stuff with that right um you know i love digging for leeks. i love digging for um you know any sort of like a wild carrot or anything like that as well and then like your spruce tips i love eating those right you know or kind of late spring or stuff and then all of your trees that you can find stuff off of like your chestnuts if you can find them um you know acorns if you know how to when to get them how to get them and how to process them acorns are delicious right i've heard that making making my own hickory bark syrup too you know it's that and like maple syrup and stuff like that it's That's some of my favorite stuff, not only because, yeah, it tastes good and everything and it's not store-bought, but it builds such a memory in my head of, like, I'm proud of that thing that I have sitting in my fridge right now that I can pull out and be like, I made this six months ago because I spent the time and I went out into the woods and I picked the bark off this hickory tree and I boiled it down and I boiled it down and I got this delicious syrup out of it, you know?
0: Yeah, Yeah, I, I know exactly what you're saying because we make maple syrup and... I, I love it man it's it's just cool yeah. you know what I mean yep. it's it you do it yourself and then uh, we have tried multiple different ways to make it but you know on an open fire is what we prefer and it gets like a slightly smoky taste to it that yeah. we, that we like more and some guys are like oh that's that's not right that's not done right well to each is their own you know I right yeah we like the way it tastes like that and it's just crazy you know that it takes anywhere from 40 to 50 gallons just to make one gallon of maple syrup. <laughs> Oh yeah. It's nuts. Yeah. It's pretty cool. It's a really cool process. I'm glad some guys showed me, showed me the ropes on that. And, uh, we do it as a family now. And, uh, you know, I know that, uh, for, for that, uh, occasion, I know that beer sales are, are what you want to buy stocks in for because, um, when you're standing around a fire for a couple hours, it looks right, like an episode yeah. of Hank Hill, man. Everybody's standing around <laughs> going, yep. Yep. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, but i wanted to move on to some some different foods and stuff man and you know i have a recipe that i got from you for yeah. uh turkey marinade and i had reached out to you and talked to you about doing my pheasants with them and i actually pulled out more pheasants than i thought i did
1: <laughs> and
0: there was two pheasants in each pack where here i thought there was one so i doubled it ah. and i was going to cook Fifteen to eighteen or something like that, and I end up making like thirty six or something like that. Oh man! So you'll see the video, man. I I'm doing some editing to it, but uh, I it the the marinade was wonderful. I want to tell you that the people that were around that ate it, they didn't believe me. They said that's chicken, and I said <laughs> no, no, this is definitely not chicken. Like you can look at it. Some of them, some of the pieces were a little shot up. You know what I mean? Yeah. And um, luckily nobody hit any BBs. Um, oh good. I I would say that that's probably from the clean job, um, somebody really really took their time and did them, and it was not me. <laughs> I I I I am all for cleaning birds, but these birds come off of a game farm where we had a get together, and oh uh, yeah, they had a uh, one of those i de- I don't know D featherer type deals with the rubber yeah. and all that shit, and it did a great job because nobody hit a BB, and uh, you know that's that's kind of rare. Oh yeah but the marinade was awesome, man. Everybody, uh, hats off to you. Thank you so much for that. And yeah, what, um, what are some of the recipes that you're working on right now? I know that today you did one. Do you want to talk about that a little bit?
1: Yeah, today was a big one. Um, really. So I'll go with a little journey to start with. It'll be quick here. So back, you know, like when I started cooking for Bo last year, um, I was like, okay, you know, I know how to cook. I make good stuff right now, but it's all kind of your typical stuff. Like, Hey, here is, um, you know, a steak with mashed potatoes. Like I might make a pan sauce or something like that. Mm -hmm. And nowadays, like, and mind you, this is just a year later. Like I looked back to the other day and I'm like, wow, like what, what happened? Like what changed, you know? And now it's, Hey, what do I have in the house? What can I throw together that I can make a dish out of, you know? And it's, it's things like you would see on, uh like, guys' grocery games on TV or something, right, where you would have no idea what the hell, like, you don't even know how they came up with that, but yet it looks delicious, it sounds delicious, and you're sure it's delicious. That's the kind of stuff I'm working with right now, so tonight I did a, uh it was a take on a shepherd's pie, Okay. however, oops, I gotta, oh, there we go, I had a burp there, I'm sorry, <laughs> um, I did it in the, with like flavors of a beef Wellington, right? So your mushrooms in there with the red wine, duck cell, basically your mustard in there, prosciutto and everything like that. And uh, I did that today with bison that my buddy, Kurt, which is Bo's brother, Kurt Martonic. um, I think he's on Instagram as Kurt the gunsmith, amazing gunsmith too. If you ever need a gunsmith, absolutely hands down one of the best. Um, He gave me some bison the other day that, I was like, all right, I'll do something with it. And I was like, I granted, we buy half a cow a year that my uncle raises in Clary and that it's, I mean, it's, it's not USDA, but it rivals Wagyu stuff. Like he really Damn. takes his time with this stuff. And I was like, oh, you know what? No, i would use bison in this dish. Right. So I was like, all right, how do I do this going through? And I'm like, okay, how do I amp it up? How do I amp it up? How do I amp it up? And I ended up building all these flavors into this thing that was really reminiscent of like a beef Wellington that you would get, you know, at a fancy restaurant. And then the top was uh, like mashed potatoes on top But They were done very nicely. They were riced and I mixed some egg and, you know, cream and butter and salt and pepper and everything in there like that. Well, then I took baby golden uh, Yukon potatoes and, One of the recipes I'm developing right now that isn't necessarily wild game, it's a hot German potato salad with these crispy, beautiful crispy potatoes and a, like, glaze for the dressing on it, right? That's your mustard and your vinegar and everything and your sugar boiled down and turned into a glaze. And uh, I use that technique on these potatoes to put on top of this, along with, like, crispy prosciutto and crispy bacon and everything to give you different texture, to give you different flavor and everything like that. You wouldn't be able to tell it's bison in there
0: at all. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I have had bison numerous times, and yeah, I, I think that it it it's right around like uh, I'm trying to trying to compare it to, maybe if you mixed like some beef with a little bit of venison, maybe. Yeah. Um, yep. I I would say I now, you know, bison it's it's pretty lean though, isn't it? It's it's probably yeah. Just... It is
1: very lean, and that's why I incorporated uh, the bacon in there as well. I was like, this doesn't go with this dish, but I need fat in here somehow. Right. So I rendered all that down, and then I sauteed the bison in it, and I browned that bison up in it. So it was – yeah, it had the bacon flavor into it as well, but
0: I now had all that fat inside this dish too. Right. Do you – now when you – um normally cook like with your venison stuff do you use a lot of like uh like beef fat mixture or like pork mixture um, um do you
1: adding yeah pending what i want to do with it and i'm very selective about the cuts that i do now like i don't i don't really grind a whole bunch anymore um you know like out of say i get a dough and it's you know say it's 100 pounds field dressed or whatever mm-hmm. I might end up with five pounds of ground meat if that, and that's just trimmings, you know. Uh Um, A lot of my flavor profile that I like, I do tend to use beef fat rather than cutting it half and half with pork or something like that. I like the beef fat because it gives fat. It's very similar to venison in the terms of the type of animal it came from, Uh but the venison still really sticks out in there.
0: Yeah, Um, you know that that is one thing i think that it, it can be hard to do too is to understand the the amount of mixture that you need so that you still have venison instead of just you know beef when right. when you're adding stuff in um some other stuff like cooking with like lards and stuff do you do you do that too
1: oh yeah i'm a big fan of uh like if i get a bear i will render out all the fat out of that and i'll use that you know pretty much all year round yeah. um I do tend to buy, you know, five, 10 pounds of beef tallow at a time, and I'll render that down. And I'll use that to cook with as well. Um, pending when I get a deer as well. And, and now, granted, I shoot, you know, probably five to six deer a year at mm-hmm. this point. Um, pending how fatty they are, I know a ton of people are like, oh my God, deer fat's so gross, and like, I don't want to eat it. It sucks and stuff. I'll render it down and use it in dishes, and people can't, like, people are like, oh, this is so good. What is it? And I'm like, that's uh, deer with deer fat and they're like what
0: <laughs> i mean that's that's impressive bro i i will tell you like i cut all the fat off of my deer so yeah um we'll definitely have to talk about that some more because
1: yeah it's it's a unique process and granted it's you know if you shoot a buck mid-right right it's not going to taste good oh, yeah, that gosh, fat so. is not going to be good at all however yeah. If you shoot a doe, you know mid December in late season, and she has a ton of fat on her, mm-hmm. it's going to be pretty well a neutral flavor.
0: Yeah, man i <laughs> I, I never <laughs> I don't think that I have ever heard that or been around that before. And, um, do you make like you know one thing I have tried to make and I have been unsuccessful, but I know some guys that say that they're good at it and they can do it. But do you make any ribs with deer meat at all? Like, do you use do you use ribs?
1: So I have – I've used them for, like, tomahawk steaks and stuff like that. I have cooked deer ribs as well. Um, It's very difficult to do just because there's almost no meat there, you know. Mm -hmm. So you really have to watch your time. You really have to watch your temperature. And the issue that you have when you're doing something like that is ideally you want to – low and slow that or braise it or smoke it really low and slow because there's a lot of connective tissue in there and where you benefit from pork and beef is they have a ton of fat Mm -hmm. whereas venison does not so it is going to dry up and get tough very very quickly so you really have to keep an eye on it and while i don't like i i kind of don't mess with the ribs anymore unless i'm doing tomahawk steaks or something like that but like if i'm gonna smoke any venison either A lot of people have the same issue. Oh, it dries out too quick. Mm -hmm. Inject it with beef tallow or, you know, warm butter that it's not hot enough to cook the meat when you put it inside of it or something like that. But it's enough where you can push it through the needle and get it into the meat. That'll keep it nice and tender. That'll keep it nice and moist in there, too.
0: Mm. That is definitely a a very good take on it. And I couldn't agree more. Now, the tomahawk steaks, I haven't tried to do that yet. That's definitely on the list. I want to try to do that. And um, I will say one thing that I do with my burgers, um, if I'm just going to do a like a straight venison burger, since they are so lean, is I will take a uh, stick of butter and I will put it Mm -hmm. in a freezer. And then I'll get a cheese grinder out. Yeah. And I will grind the butter into the meat and it kind of looks like it's cheese, right? Yep. And then I'll make my burgers like that and I'll throw them on the Blackstone and it keeps yeah. them very moist and 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 you're able to kind of keep the burger together. If you don't want to use egg or breadcrumb or, you know, parmesan right. cheese or or whatever, whatever, yep. you know, there's a whole bunch of stuff that you can use, but um, oh, yeah. What what are uh what what would you say like some of your favorite wild game to cook is? You know, what stuff that you're like, "Man, I I just love cooking this shit and I I can't wait to cook it again."
1: Um one of my favorite ones is uh I make a really good any wild game birria taco right like i've done it moose elk boar venison anything like that it is absolutely delicious because the way i build my recipe i build it with enough um tenderizers in there so like tomato and pineapple and stuff like that where it breaks down the meat so much that it's tender no matter what and one of the first times i ever made birria too it was with venison like i just i took a shot and i was like i see these tacos they look good I'll try to make them, you know, like I know how to make them. And if I mess it up, I know how to fix it, too. You know, that, that's part of the confidence in my kitchen, too, is if I mess something up, I know how to fix it, per right. se, or I know how to change it. Um, but one of the first times I made those, like me and wife bit into them and we just looked at each other. <laughs> <laughs> like we didn't we didn't have to say anything. We just looked and we're like, Holy shit, this is good. Oh
0: man, I love um, that feeling. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's it's delicious. And then I make a really good um wild game queso as well. Like I cooked for Spartan Forge and Seek One um down in Alabama in January. Um, which Bill from Spartan Forge, he was at Bo's event last year and he loved the food so much and he's like, Oh, like that's awesome i'm a veteran you're a veteran like you're hired you know yeah i was like yeah that's awesome he's like oh we'll probably do it like somewhere near sheffield this year like where johnny stewart's camp is and Mm -hmm. stuff like that and i was like yeah that works man like i'm you know a town over and then i get a call in like august he's like hey you want to go to alabama instead and i was like i I guess like uh, yeah sure you know why not and uh i made this queso down there for these guys they eat themselves out of chips and started <laughs> eating it with a spoon it was that good that's awesome man
0: yeah yeah that that shit makes you feel so good man that's oh yeah that that is what you know it's a rush it's yeah it, it, it is man I, it's it's a high it'll put you on a high when you're when you're cooking for people you know because you're your weight it's it's such a it's such a climatic moment when you're watching somebody bite into something that you just made enslaved over and put yeah. labor into and you just <laughs> it can also crush you though too you know because you know when someone's freaking lying to you and they're like oh yeah that's that's good and you're like fuck you <laughs> right yeah exactly
1: yeah <laughs> that's funny enough too like they always say, you know, oh, like chefs have to taste their food as they go and stuff I'm like, well, yeah, I do. But I'm like, I'm sitting there cooking it. Like, I know what it should taste like. I know what it smells like. Like, mm-hmm. I have the wife taste it all the time. Yeah. And if I don't get the response I'm looking for out of her, I'm like, how do I make it better? Then? <laughs> right. Like, w- what's wrong with it? <laughs> uh,
0: I Man, I feel that. I I feel that one (laughs) hundred (laughs) percent. Yeah, I love that shit, man. That's that's the journey, and that's that's why we love doing this stuff. And it's it's so cool to be able to bring this to people. And what's even crazier though is you know, when you get around people and they're like, "Man, I never had nothing like this before," and you're like, "Well, I mean, don't you don't you cook?" Like, right? Yeah. And it's amazing how many people just don't do it, man. They're just they say, "Screw that," and they they'll buy, you know, they'll eat out, they'll they'll have food deliver or whatever right. else and man I, I don't even know how some people can afford that to be honest with you but uh i think they're really missing out on a on a great opportunity to be able to cook for themselves but
1: oh absolutely not like i worked at the butcher shop for a year here to really learn some skills there to help me yeah. with it's awesome like hey you know if i go out to like i went to alabama and i'd, I'd butcher deer right there and i served fresh backstrap that night you know and yep um it was amazing. Like we sell probably 50 different kinds of sausages there that we all make in house. Right. The amount of people that were just like, how do I cook this? And I'm like, till it's done. Like, what, what do you mean? How do you <laughs> cook this? You can, there's 80 different ways you can do it. W- what are you looking for? Right. You know? And that's, it's flabbergasting. How many people don't cook or don't know how to cook or don't know the fundamentals. And I'm like, Turn Food Network on for a couple days, and you're going to learn more than you learned in high school about anything.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. I, I think that that just comes down to patience, though. You know? Yeah. I mean, a lot of people, number one, the, one of the biggest things, and I preach on here all the time, is nobody wants to read a book for whatever reason or another. Um, then they, don't, they won't even listen to an audio book, which is crazy because they're probably listening to this podcast right now. <laughs> right. Yeah. And – the other thing is they just aren't open to stuff. A lot of people don't like new things. They don't like change. And that's why I was saying, and you know, when we first started talking that the, the entrepreneurial thing, man, it goes a long way because you're constantly trying new things. You're going down different paths and especially the networking skills, man, because look at, look at the network that you have right now. Right. And that's, that's a testament to what you're doing. You're, that's how you expand and that's how you get better at this shit. And, um, what I, what I do want to go into is there's a lot of people that might be listening to this thinking, man, I need to step my game up. Like, I need to be like Gunner and, and make some badass shit and serve it up. <laughs> what What do you tell people when they're like, hey, man, how can I kind of get started doing this?
1: Uh, one of my biggest things um, is, well, A, watch Food Network a little bit, right? Like, I'll be honest, too. Like, I'm, I'm a 100% self-taught cook. And I attribute that to uh, Good Eats that Alton Brown had on a, as a TV show in the, like, early 2000s, right? Mm-hmm. Because my dad was like, hey, like, I don't really want you watching cartoons. Like, you know, you don't learn anything. So I was like, "Yeah, I don't care about the History Channel. I'm like, oh, all right, whatever, I'll turn Food Network on. And that's that's why I know so much about what I know. But if, if you have Ground Venison, right? Mm-hmm. Take your favorite dish that you make with ground beef. Make it with venison. See how it tastes, right? And then if it doesn't taste how you want it to, think of what flavor you're missing and add that into it until you get it where you want it, right? So if you're making tacos, right? And say you add your taco seasoning, and I'll be, most people are going to use a packet. I can't control that. I'm not that guy. Um, But it's like, okay, say you get a little bit too much of the gamey taste, which really Wild Game isn't gamey tasting. That's just how it tastes. People (laughs) just don't like it because it doesn't taste like beef, you know? Yeah, it's all they're used to. Um, Yeah, exactly. And I'm like, okay, well, up the flavor then to get rid of that flavor if you want to. You know, add another half a packet of taco seasoning and see where it takes you. If you need more, add more. You know, do something like that Mm -hmm. to where you can introduce it into a dish that you love and still have it taste great
0: yeah or just and add, then or just expand add more, from there yeah or just add more cumin <laughs> right exactly yeah yeah um now you know when it comes to and this this isn't just specific to deer meat um it's just mm-hmm. you know most of the people that listen to this in this audience are, are definitely probably familiar with either butchering your own deer or eating deer meat and uh do you like so, say you shoot a you you shoot a deer. You guys go out and have a good day with some rifles, or you know you shoot yeah. you take a doe or a buck uh, one night with the bow. Mm-hmm. Do you let it hang for a while if you can? Um, do you you know do, do you try to get some of the blood out of it? You know, like what I've seen some people do is I, I will actually take my burger after we grind it if I didn't feel like it hung long enough, mm-hmm. and I will put it into um, some. Uh, um, I'm trying to think of the name of it, cheesecloth. Oh yeah. And just have it elevated on something so that the, so some blood can run out of it. Yeah. Do you, I mean, do you practice anything like that or, or do anything special or specific with your meat when you're butchering it? So that that's a really big rabbit hole for me. Um,
1: (laughs) I do a lot of stuff starting with like when I shoot it actually too. So you have these guys out there that they're like, Oh, you know, I give it at least 20 minutes after I shoot a deer with a bow or like I give it an hour or something. And I'm like, I know, like I'm confident enough to where I know I made a good shot. You know what I mean? I'm chasing that thing right away Damn. because it's, it's going to die, you know? And, and granted, most of my stuff is dead within a hundred yards by the time I pull myself together of like, okay, I just shot a deer. Let me find my arrow. Let me find blood. It, it, it ends up taking five or 10 minutes before I'm like, okay, I'm on the track. Let's go get down to it or wherever. And I'm like, yeah, it's, it's clearly dead. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, rifle, uh, if it's not a buck, I'm headshots only just to not waste me. I shoot. Like I'm, I'm basically essentially shooting a sniper rifle at this point and it just, it obliterates everything right inside mm-hmm. and it's, it wastes half the deer. So I'm like, okay, headshots only from now on. Mm-hmm. Um, but it all starts with, like, you know, what I how I feel dressed and everything like that, too. And a lot of people are the people that are like, oh, you know, I'll let it hang, hide on for, you know, till I can get to it. And I'm like, I, I get to hide off as soon as possible. Like, the moment I get it to my truck, I'm starting to take the hide off. Mm-hmm. Because the hide is what keeps deer warm. That is what keeps all the heat in. And heat will make meat go bad faster, right? that's where you can get some of the irony taste because it's holding on to more blood. That's where you can get some of the rancid taste because you know, if it's, you know, two days before you get that hide off of it and it's 40 degrees out, there's a good chance that that meat is somewhere around 50 degrees inside still, if not warmer, just building bacteria. Right. Mm -hmm. So I will immediately gut it, immediately skin it. And then pending what I want to do with it and the situation the deer was taken as well if it's a rut buck i'm gonna let it hang and let some blood out of it to try to get you know some of that irony taste some of that gamey taste out of it because i know it's not going to taste the best there however if it's a opening week dough i cut it and vac it and freeze it that day pretty much because there's no flavor to it as is you know Mm -hmm. um I've dry aged, I've wet aged. I have a specially built fridge in my garage with hooks in it to where I can hang quarters on it and let it age as long as I want. I've done one day all the way up to two weeks. Um, there really is a whole like this is a whole different ball game that a lot of people don't ever realize, and it changes the flavor dramatically. Like <laughs> I could pull out four different deer from the freezer that I've treated different. They all taste way different from the other one, you know? Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I just started doing the wet aging, um, yeah, probably two years ago. And my wife is a big fan, and I am too. I, yeah, I think that that's, you know, that's the way I like it now. And I do some other stuff different. Um, but you know, I will say that the the vacuum sealing is that's the way to go, folks. Um, just spend a couple extra bucks and do it because you're talking to a guy who's eating deer meat all his life and there's no better way to package your deer meat i'm sorry it's just the the way to do it and that's the way it needs to be done and what i've actually started doing just to make it easier on my wife if uh she's busy or whatever and i'm at work and she wants to pull some steaks out or whatever is i will put uh, you know all the seasoning in oh yeah or uh you know a marinade or whatever and it's in the bag it's ready to go and she just pulls it out. And if it didn't have enough time to marinate, whenever I was putting it together, we just let it sit and dethaw for 24 hours or so. Yep. And then it marinates overnight or whatever. And they go on the grill or, you know, however they're getting cooked and they're wonderful. So. Oh yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. That, that is a really cool conversation to get into, man. Like I said, not a lot of people, you know, know about that or even think to, tr- to go that route or try that. So. Uh, oh yeah, I, I appreciate you touching on that for sure. Yeah, and, absolutely. And um,
1: go ahead. Um, touching on the vacuum thing too, like that's that's the only way I like to preserve any meat nowadays too. It just the presence of oxygen is what makes meat go bad at some point. You know, whether even a lot of people tend to think too. Oh, I'm gonna throw this in the freezer; and it'll be good forever. And it's like, like uh, degradation doesn't stop when it's frozen, like there's, it's still degrading in there. It's still breaking down in there right. just at a much slower pace, you know? Mm-hmm. Um And I, I was going to touch on this too. Like I have two different types of vacuum sealers. I have your typical, you know, food saver type one, where it sucks the air out from the inside of the bag. Mm-hmm. That's good in a pinch. Or, you know, if I'm doing something real quick, something like that. I also have a vacuum chamber one too, where it sucks the air out of a whole entire chamber. That is by far my favorite way to do it as well. Because if you notice, like you'll throw, um, you know, say you throw backstrap into one of the food saver bags Mm -hmm. and you vacuum it. You see the juice start to come out of it, you know.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. That doesn't happen with this chamber one. And you can marinate in this chamber one. It won't suck liquid out. You can quick marinate. Like I've uh, I've done a backstrap where I threw my marinade in the bag. And threw the back strap in there, vacuum sealed it up. It was fully integrated through all of that meat in about an hour's time. Like you, yeah, it was crazy. You could see the change through the whole thing.
0: That's awesome.
1: And it's, they're more expensive. However, get the regular one now and just save up for the other one. You know what I mean? That's, it doesn't take a whole ton. You can find them used and everything like that, but they are well worth the money.
0: So here, here's my – this is my gripe with guys that talk about stuff that costs mon- more money than other things. Yeah. They, they'll buy a new bow every year. Right? Yeah. Right? But they won't spend money – God forbid they spend money on something to butcher deer, right? Right. Or um, they drive an $80,000 pickup truck, but God forbid they bought a new pair of boots that are waterproof. Right, you know? exactly. I don't I don't understand that shit, man. Nope. It's uh whatever. Whatever, man. To each is their own, but it is funny to bring that up cuz a lot of people will relate to that. Um, you know, or I know guys that just don't spend any money on anything and they they're dragging the biggest buck that there is off the hill every year. <laughs> oh, I know, yeah. No,
1: those are the guys who yeah. It sounds dumb, but a lot of people are like, "Oh, like he's just some dumb redneck." And I'm like, I, "I'm going to go pick his brain because yeah. He he has the simplest of shit on, yeah. and he's using the oldest gun out here, the oldest bow, you know, yeah. one of the old, like, Golden Eagles from the 90s or something, you know? <laughs> and it's like, yeah. how did he do this? Like, what is he doing? You know what I mean? Yeah. Where that's I have guys that they have the newest bow every year. They have all the new gear and stuff, and they suck. And I'm like, yeah. because, like, good equipment doesn't make you good. It's the knowledge that makes you good.
0: Yep. And those, you know, those guys are the guys that I'm after. You know, those yeah. those guys that have invaluable information and just yep. nobody knows it. And all you have to do is go up and ask and they'll, they'll give you an earful. Those yep. are the guys that we want to be talking to. But, exactly. yeah, those guys are awesome, man. And that's why I pay homage to, like, the trad community so much and stuff. Because, you know, they don't have all that technology. Like, no. they just You know, I seen a thing the other day and it was something about, like, tuning a bow. And yeah. uh, trad guys, and it was a caveman. It goes, huh? Ooh, ha ha, huh? <laughs> right? <laughs> because yeah, exactly. You know, like they don't. It's just, it's simple, man. It's simple. It's just the way you shoot the bow, and yep, it's oh, well, without technology, man, things are way different. And and just like you were talking about, like I, I have. I have a whole bunch of sick gear and I I got a very heavy discount on that stuff. And Oh it, yeah, it's nice, man. It's, it's nice because I can compare it to other stuff that I've had that was like decent, like some under armor stuff and some, um, right. some other companies and things. But you know, if someone comes to me and they're like, Oh man, well I got to get that sick gear. I'm like, I mean, it's just because you have extra money. Because if it's because you think you're going to be a better hunter, then you're on the wrong path. Right. Exactly. So it's, yep. It's definitely a slippery slope, man, but, um, you know, you, you have some of your own spices and stuff, right? Yeah. You want to talk about them? Yeah, man. The, uh, the one I have out right now is the ricochet rub. Um,
1: that's actually named for our family camp. Like I said, we've had since 1954, it's camp ricochet. Um, that one I developed, especially this year for Bo's other event this year, his, uh, his second mountain scouting camp this year mountain buck scouting camp and uh that took me 11 different recipes to come up with that and that was playing with flavor and texture and everything and now mind you too like my wife's pregnant right now (laughs) and at that time i was developing this she had a very strong aversion to anything that was it smelled strong or steak or anything like that and then i get home from work and cook three different steaks with different rubs that i make (laughs) And she was just like, I I can't be here right now. Like, I cannot smell this. And uh, that, yeah, that one took me 11 different tries, but there is nothing like it on the market right now. It is, and this isn't just me, like, bragging up my stuff either. Like, I have not found a rub that's like this right now. So it is a coffee and chili base in this, right? Sweet. And I took it a step further, and I, I introduced some, like, minced garlic and some minced onion for some texture and mustard seed in there too. But I was like, man, like, I'm a chef, though. Like, I, I know how to build flavors. I know about umami. Like, how do how do I put this into a rub, right? And I was like, okay. The chili in here has a bunch of stuff that can go with it, right? You can go somewhere and buy, um, like, a spicy chocolate bar. So I threw cocoa powder in there because it goes well, and it gives some earthy tones to this, right? And then I was like, all right, what else can I do? What's a big flavor bomb? And I was like... Worcestershire Chestershire sauces, like I use it in everything. They make it in powdered form. Damn, so I threw I that in that. there, right? <laughs> yeah, and it's like I'm I'm going through all this, and, like, I threw a ton of coffee in there too, and then one of my favorite spices on earth is cinnamon, right? And it's not for just sweet stuff either. Like I put it in my barbecue stuff. I put it in, like, my pasta sauces. I put it in this rub because it's a very nice warming type of spice, Mm-hmm. That if it if you don't put too much in, it blends everything so nicely together, and like this rub, I've used in Asian dishes, Mexican, Italian, barbecue, your normal American stuff. I use it in everything, and it can lend some sort of flavor profile to whatever dish it is in because there's so much going on in it. Yeah,
0: I have cooked with cinnamon, um, mostly with venison. Yeah, um, especially like with any ground venison. And that that has definitely been a hit, man. And I'm super excited to 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 try your rub because I'm always looking for different things, man. And anything with coffee in it, I'm like a fanatic for coffee. I love the oh bean. yeah, I love the bean, man. I I, I get down with it, and um, yeah, I'm super excited to to be able to try that. And thank um, you. Yeah. I wanted to jump into like uh, some equipment, man. You know, you you were a yeah. chef, so let's yeah. talk about. Do you have any recommendations for knives? Because I think that that's the tool, you know. Oof, that is, that is a tough one. And without being, uh,
1: uh how do I, without, without sounding like I'm sponsored or anything <laughs> like that. Cause I'm not right. right okay. He's one of my good buddies. He makes all of my chef knives for him. I have six from him right now. And they, you can't find this stuff in stores. It's that high quality. Right. Um, That's the thing, though, is find a local knife maker, you know, and then find a guy that's a couple hours from you who's, you know, pretty much small time. Work with him to design a knife, right? Like, I started work. His his name is Luke Bright. He owns Barrel Falls Blade Works out of Niagara Falls. And I hit him up one day, and I was talking about some knives, and we never got to anything. And then I ended up winning a raffle off of him, and I had him build me two. And he sent him down, and – I was like, okay, like, there's some flaws in these, and I was like, hey, man, like, I'm, I'm not bad or anything, like, just constructive criticism. This is what I see on my end as the consumer of these, and he took that, and he ran with it, man, and the next knife I ordered was 3,000% a better knife than what he sent me previously, right? Yeah. I mean, it was insane, and his prices weren't bad at the time either, like, they're they're still not crazy, but...
0: Yeah, the you're, store you're bought knives, quality. You, you know what I mean? Yeah,
1: exactly. And that's the knives that you can go get at Walmart. They're not going to stay sharp. They they're made out of a shitty steel, right? Yep. Do a little bit of research into a steel. Find a good company that you like. You know, and mind you, me saying his knives aren't crazy expensive. Some of the knives I have from him are four or five hundred dollar mm-hmm. knives, right? Most people would be like, "What the hell?" Like I would never do that, mind you i i do this professionally so like i kind of have to have very high equipment there for sure but you know find one uh hey you know maybe it's 200 bucks right you will never use another knife in your kitchen right yeah. like i've the one knife he made me i i can do everything with it i pretty much that's the only knife i use i have six of them i use one because i can do
0: everything with it yep yeah that's the beauty of it man now does he make your yeah. sharpeners too or do you, you uh, use a certain brand
1: um honestly man his stuff is so good that i have only ever had to hone it so far yeah, that's i great. have not had to sharpen it
0: do you when you hone it do you use uh you just use like leather or anything or what do you
1: no i just use a straightening steel basically okay. that like i got used to using it in the butcher shop and mm-hmm. then bought one for the house and that's it that's awesome man and that's a lot of people don't realize too like yes there's bevels on your be- on your blades and that's how you sharpen however there's also micro bevels right and mm-hmm. When that bends over, your knife feels dull, and it won't cut as well anymore. Mm -hmm. You run that thing on a steel, it straightens that out, it breaks that off. It's as sharp as it was when you actually sharpened it. Now, you might have to, you know, like a professional chef or like a butcher or something, you'll sharpen your knife about once a week and hone it 30 to 40 times a day, Mm -hmm. basically, up until then. The average guy, you like the stuff I use at my house right now, Like I said, I've never sharpened it. The one I've had for well over a year at this point, you know.
0: Yep, Yeah, knives are are a huge tool, man. And that's why I bring it up because I'm super picky about my stuff too. And it makes your job way easier too. Right. Especially whenever I'm butchering deer and stuff and I'm in there with a sharp blade. And it's just shaving time off of the time needed. And, you know, you you get – especially when you're ever dealing with some trauma – you know when you're cutting off some trauma, yeah. Uh, that's like that slimy, you know, really oh, hard yeah. to cut stuff, and and uh, some other spots that you're taking fat off of. You know, having a yep. sharp knife is is key, and um, it's it's the way to do it, man. Um, yeah, heck yeah. How about you know what what kind of hunter are you, man? And what I mean by that, like, how are your setups? Are you hunting a saddle? Are you a mobile hunter? Are you hunting hanging hunts? Do you have preset stuff? You know what what is kind of your game whenever you're out in the woods? So,
1: uh, way back when in the Navy, when I really got into tree hunting, I was more of a, okay, I'll use a climber. I'll do a couple, you know, walk on stuff like that. And Mm -hmm. I was like, "Eh, this kind of sucks. You know, like I'm not, I'm not the biggest fan of this. Like I'm stuck in one tree all fucking day. Mm -hmm. I don't care for this. And with, um, with like my beliefs and everything like that, like I'm very connected to nature and everything like that too. So once I got out, I tried the whole tree stand thing for a year again. And honestly, like I bought a brand new climber. I hated it so much. I left it three miles in the woods and I, I see it every year when I go hunt there <laughs> and I'm just, I, I don't care about it. I don't want it. That's you know funny. what I mean? Um, So I took the last four years to strictly ground hunt actually. And that's awesome. a lot of people are going to be like, Oh yeah, like you're just hunting in the blind and, no, I walk the backpack, my bow, and a chair, and that's it, right? I read the land. I read hot sign. I, I'm able to pick up on trails that other people can't see yet, and when you're hunting this A&F now up here, you're getting a lot more pressure in archery and everything, and deer tend to move on these sub-trails that aren't the main trails per se because there's so much pressure in the woods right mm-hmm. now, and that's I'm successful every year, multiple times a year because of this right now. And this year I finally decided I was like, okay, I've done this four years now. I've like, I've I've learned what I need to learn. I'm, I'm constantly having success. Yes. I've had failures too. um, But I've learned from them very well, you know, and I've learned a lot about deer. I've learned a lot about nature and everything. Let me try to get back in a tree. And now mind you like, you know, come rifle season. Yeah. I'd hop in a tree stand to walk on or something like that. Cause it's, When when you're shooting a rifle, the higher vantage point you can have, the easier it is to kill something, Mm, you know? For sure. So I do that. Um, I was like, I do. I like it because I can see a lot more, but I'm like, I hate tree stands. I'm not going to take the time to go set up a lock on and stuff like that and be stuck in a tree, and I'm not going to buy another climber because, well, yeah, I'm a big dude. I still don't want to put a 30-pound climber on my back on top of my Fanatic set and all of my backpack and my bow, which – my bow is a monster and it probably weighs 10 to 15 pounds with everything on it. Like it's a big bow. I'm like, I'm not carrying, you know, 40, 50, 60 pounds out in the woods to hunt deer, you know? So, um, through all of my adventures right now, I've gotten hooked up with uh, Jason Red from Timber Ninja and I'm going to be running all of his gear this year. And I'm, I'm, like, I'm not even sponsored by Jason. He doesn't give me shit. I'm paying full price for this stuff because I like his stuff so much right now. Yeah. Um, so this is my first year that I will be getting into a saddle. Um, granted, I have a pretty good, good idea what I'm doing about I've been in the timber industry for quite a while. I've used him before and stuff like that, just mm-hmm. not for hunting applications. Right. And, yeah.
0: You've been in a harness and, and lineman belt. Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. And mm-hmm. it's, I, I think. You know, I think it's, I might see a pretty big change in what I'm able to accomplish this year, too. Just going in deeper and getting set up better and getting in a tree better. Because a lot of the times on the ground, you, you get busted, you know, six times out of ten. Because oh. at some time, you're 40, year, or 40 yards staring a deer eye to eye. Like, you are ground level with them. You cannot move. Mm-hmm. And they're like, huh. That's not a tree over there and that's not in a tree over there-hmm I don't think I'm gonna stick around for this
0: isn't it funny though whenever you go eye to eye with them like it's man you I you know what I always do either close my, my eye and like barely have them open or I just look away because it's like oh yeah when when you make that eye contact if you're staring it's like you can't do that they'll they'll, they'll turn right. and bolt you know, or, or yep. you, you kind of look away and then they're, they're good with it. And somebody told me one time, and I don't even know if it's true, but you know, they said, Oh, well, you know, all predators have the eye, have eyes on the front of your, their head. And that's why they, you know, they, they take you as a threat. And yeah, I don't know if that's true or not, but I know that when I, sometimes they look through you, you know, and you can get away yep. with it. They're looking at you, but it's like kind of like looking through you. It's like, they know yeah. you're there, but they haven't found you yet. And then, you know, other times when they make that eye contact and it's like, I better look away. It's just a weird, it's weird, man. It's, it's like, you can feel that shit, but. Oh yeah. um, It's
1: weird. And that's, I do, I do it a lot too. Like if I see one coming, I know I'm not going to shoot. I don't even pay attention to it till it's gone.
0: Yeah. Yeah, man. I do the same thing. (laughs) Sometimes, sometimes I will get a draw on it and just kind of, you know, get that practice motion or whatever. Right. Yeah. um, But yeah, man, I, I I have done the saddle thing for a couple of years now. It's pretty cool. Uh, some other things that I have tried and and do is I will hang and hunt, but I'll wear my saddle so that I'm like a, like a hybrid system. Okay, yeah. Um, as far as hunting on the ground, it, boy, you know it's it's really hard. But I I know guys that are super successful at hunting in the ground. And uh, when you're moving through the woods, like, uh, do you like make any turkey calls or do you grunt or anything like that? Like when you're moving around or getting set up.
1: Um so I, I will grunt sometimes um just pending what i'm doing however like with how much i've hunted the ground now mind you too like my the first year i ever ground hunted for full time right i put in um oh god what was it i think i put in 56 days on the ground actually like i and it wasn't just oh i'm out for an hour like i i put in close to 400 hours after, right and like that it really taught me a lot so like i I remember i think it was last year or two years ago like my uncle was up hunting with us and he he, he's not old by any sort of means you know what i mean but he was one of the guys that kind of taught me more about woodsmanship when i was little and stuff like that and like walking in the woods and stuff and right we're we're hunting the same area and we meet up on this logging road to walk out and everything and i'm i'm dead quiet walking. I mean, like I can't even hear myself and I hear him just dragging feet back here. And I'm like, you know, Brian, like you're the guy that taught me how to walk in the woods <laughs> and you're making the most noise out of anyone here. Oh, so funny. really, I just, I learned how to pick my feet up and put them down and not step on twigs and stuff like that. And everybody's like, oh, you know, like you should be watching your surroundings. And I'm like, if I'm walking, I'm I'm not hunting right now. Uh-huh. I do not need to be looking around me because when I'm hunting off the ground, even if there's a deer at 70 yards, I've been moving. They're going to get spooked. They're going to run. I'm not going to get a shot. Yeah. My bow can do it, but I'm not going to get that shot off, you know, Mm -hmm. because by the time that I hear them, they've spotted me already. So my head is pretty much always on the ground for the most part when I'm walking in or out of anything, just so I can stay that quiet about it too. And yeah, like, if it's, if it's rut or something like that, I'll grunt, I'll bleat a little bit as I'm walking around. I'll make a little bit of extra noise, actually, to kind of imitate a deer out in the woods and stuff. And I've had success doing that. You know, some really dumb young bucks, like, I've, had a, I've called four points in doing that type of stuff that they'll run up, see me run away, and I'll grunt and they'll run right back. And I'm like, you are just the <laughs> dumbest thing in the woods right now.
0: Yeah, but you have fun doing it, don't you? Right. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah yeah man i mean that's that's why we do it and that's why we love it but yeah um do you so do you got any goals going in like i mean you know we're halfway through the year but do you have anything you're trying to, to get done this year or or you know like hey this is where i want to be
1: um really really not too much um but i i have a son on the way right now so i really want to be able to just have enough venison to kind of pretty much last for the winter for us this year. Um, mm-hmm. like I said, I buy a half cow every year and stuff like that too. But right. my goal this year is just see really see the difference in, okay, I'm in a tree now. Like how can I use that knowledge that I have for the ground hunting in the tree? Like how much of, you know, a killer can I be? How much of an assassin can I be because I have this knowledge now, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, um, actually here in a couple weeks too, I, I probably won't get to use it this year. I have an 80 pound longbow coming that uh, I ordered two years ago. It was handmade for me um, out of yew wood from British Columbia and then went to Norway. It got dried handmade there. It's now back in British Columbia and it'll be shipped to me here soon. But that is one of my goals too, is I want to take a deer at very like a good distance with, I'm talking, you know, 50, 60, 70 yards with a longbow type of thing. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I have a guy that's not too far from you. I'm sure that would be willing to help you out with learning some Heck of that yeah. stuff. So I'll yeah. ho- I'll definitely hook you guys up. But um, other than that, man, you know, you, you're, you're born and bred in Pennsylvania and you're, you're Pennsylvania blood. And, uh, you know, you're in it to win it. You came back. You love it here. What are some things that you think that our state does really well? And then what are some things that you think maybe we can take a look at and possibly change?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um... I think what we do pretty well here is public land around here. And that's, I've hunted, well, multiple, multiple other states at this point, And there is not nearly this amount of public land around here because Pennsylvania has a huge heritage in the timber industry and they want to have public land available. And like I said, it's a $4 billion industry mm-hmm. that they're going to use hunters to help control the deer population to ensure that industry thrives. Yep. And that's the thing. I can walk out my back door. Like I shot Udo last year, seventy-five yards out my back door. My camp. We walk across a road, which is thirty yards from my camp. You're in the A and F. You know, it's yeah. It's, it's a really good thing around here that hunting is so widely accessible around here. Um, I do think though that one thing we can look at, and I think Game Commission has kind of failed in this though, is getting the youth more involved. Where yeah, they tried to change the opening day to get people out on Saturday to get more people involved. And that pissed more people off than it made happier, you know? And I think a lot of what lacks is, yeah, they have your education course, but like very few schools around have a trap league. Very few, few schools around have an archery league in them. And that's something to introduce and show people like, hey, you can learn this skill, it's not that hard. And you can pretty much never have to buy meat for the rest of your life if you get good at it, you know?
0: <sighs> yeah, so I'd like to touch <laughs> into that real quick. Um, yeah. So what I believe, and I don't want to make this a political thing, because it's yeah. unfortunately it is, but I don't want to get right. into uh, our politics on stuff, but you, you are going to have a super hard time doing that because oh, yeah. of how anti- gun, um, anti-self-sustaining, if you will, that the liberal agenda can be. Yep. And unfortunately, it's not 50-50 in in the school system. Right. And I mean, I know that that's not for every school district, but I, I will tell you, and I bet you if I set a poll out there, do you think your school district is more liberal um, minded than anything. I, I bet you that we'd get a heavier, you know, a, a heavy a heavy yes. I think the oh, percentage no. would be highly. And when I was in high school, I went to the principal multiple times, vice principal also, and I, I begged for an archery team. Because right. I knew going into that that I was a good enough archer to make the team. And number two, I know what kind of scholarships you can get from that kind of stuff. Right. And I, they they just wouldn't do it. It just, no. right. the, you know, the the principal at the time looked at me and said, that'll never happen while well I'm principal. Why? I mean, didn't even want to talk about it. Right. So I yeah. said about a trap team and he just laughed. I mean, laughed, you know, and, and yep. that's crazy. And um, the Penn Cambry school district where I'm at, they actually have a trap team now, but it has nothing to do with the school district. They just carry the name. Yeah. But it's crazy, man, because they had 120 kids sign up for last year. Wow. The first year they had 48, the second year they had 80 some and now yeah. 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 And that's that and and I hope my numbers aren't aren't, aren't blown up or anything, but that's what I've been told. I've been told they have so many people that that want yeah. so many kids that want to sign up for that team that they're, you know, there's just too many. Yep. And fortunately, we're blessed enough to even have in our areas these gentlemen that are willing to take these kids under their wing. And that's just the way the outdoor community is, man. It speaks volumes to who we are. And we know, oh, yeah. you know, we know going into everything that number one, we want to see them succeed because most of the time anymore, you know, you especially when you have kids or whatever, you want to see them kill or, or, or catch fish or whatever before you'd ever right. want to do it you, yourself because it makes you feel better. Yep. And it's the same thing on that side of things for, um, for, for trap or archery leagues or whatever. But man, I'm, I'm, I'm 100% on, on board with you. And, you know, if there's anything that you know of that I can help out with as far as like youth, uh, events or anything like that, you know, if I can bring DJing services or anything like that, you know, let me know because I'm, I'm in man. That's, that is, that's the shit. That's what I want to be part of. And that other thing I was going to bring up is, you know, when I was growing up, there was always wild game feeds. And right. I, I don't, I don't, I mean, I see them here and there, but it's not like, I can remember going to them and thinking like, man, I'm eating rattlesnake. Like how cool is that? Right. Or, yeah. um, you know, alligator, I don't know, just exotic things that you're not used to. But, and, and what's crazy is for us, you know, oh, squirrel. Yeah. Squirrel. Like I eat that all the time. Rabbit. Yeah. I eat rabbit all the time. You know, some people are like, "Oh my God, I'm eating a rabbit! Oh my God, I'm yeah. eating a squirrel!" And this is really yep. good. And well, yeah, it's really good. We people have been eating it for centuries. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. It may not be mainstream stuff anymore. You know, if you're not eating pork, beef, or chicken, then I guess you're, you know, you're eating some exotic animal, which is crazy. But right. Um, so yeah, I, I I think that you make a great point, man. And I think that the, the Pennsylvania game commission has a lot of great land. I think that they do a pretty decent job, um, especially the groundskeeping part of everything. I think that them guys, they hit a home run. They have some of the best lands around and I see them guys constantly working, especially in my area. I see them all the time. The the game lands crews are all over the place and I mean they're doing fires and they're doing, I mean, such a cool job. I just, honest to God, they're they're probably underpaid, but.
1: Oh yeah. And that's, you know, I I love the people too, that they always bitch about like, Oh, like take, uh, take road crews for example. Right. Mm Um, Oh, you know, those guys are just staring around while the other guy works. Right. Or, you know, they're just being lazy, just wasting taxpayer dollars. Mm -hmm. And it's like, listen, you do the same damn thing. If you had that job, (laughs) I don't want to hear you bitching because you know what? Everybody is lazy. And you're going to get the same check whether you stand there or you do the work. And I guarantee you, I'd catch you standing there someday too, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I mean... that's
1: same thing with game commission too. People bitch about them. And it's like, listen, Pennsylvania has close to a million hunters. Yeah, Try to manage all of them and manage all the millions. I think last I knew PA had close to 2.2 or 2.3 million acres of public land that you can hunt on top of the 500,000 acres of national forest, right? Mm -hmm. Imagine trying to manage that. That's bigger than some States in the whole U S you know, it's like people just, they want something to bitch about at this point.
0: They do. And people will never be happy. And that's just the way it is. And, and the, the, the other bad thing is, you know, people just love to watch the world burn so when shit isn't going good you know wow well you know screw them or whatever and, right. and it's like no man like if there's something you can do to pitch in and help out then that's what you should should not do right. but exactly yeah, hey whatever you know misery loves company i tell everybody that all the time and it's the truest <laughs> it's the truest thing that you've ever you've ever been part of and um or experienced but you know, man, this, this conversation has been, has been really good. It's been really awesome. And, um, you know, I kind of want to end it on a good note between us and, um, this, this, this has been awesome, man. There, there's so many more rabbit holes and stuff we could go down and I look forward to having you back on here. We'll probably do after deer season, or maybe we can do a special together or something for some cooking. Yeah. And, um, this is awesome, man. I, I I want you to promote your brand and yourself before you go, man. Tell everybody where they can find you, follow yep. follow some of the shit you're doing, and of course, you know you got recipes on there, oh, and yeah. um they can get a hold of you if you're willing to help them out or whatever with with their journey and and just just promote yourself, man. Yeah, man. So uh like you know like we kind of covered in the beginning. I'm Gunnar Remberg. I am the Hungry
1: Huntsman. Um you can find me on Instagram and Facebook. Is at right now? We are working on a ton of stuff for a website doing collabs with other people. A lot of my recipes, you can just reach out to me and I will send them to you. Or I have monthly ones that post on harvesting nature as well. They are a community of kind of like-minded people where we really enjoy cooking with wild game. And we do the unique stuff that you're not going to see out in public with this, you know, we're not just doing burgers and stuff. Um, a lot of my recipes are on there as well um we have big plans for the future too guys it is it's gonna get pretty crazy around here pretty quick
0: yeah well it's already man you're already taken off it's awesome to watch and i'm glad that i got to be a little bit part of it and it's this is fun man let's let's keep it going i want to watch you succeed and uh, hey let's let's get some good blood trails here this year heck yeah man i appreciate you having me on yeah man thank you so much we will uh we'll hopefully catch up with you soon Heck yeah. You have finished another episode of the Keystone Chronicles podcast. Guys, thank you so much for listening. I really hope you enjoyed this one as much as I did. I can't wait to cook some of Gunner's recipes. I have started on a couple. They're very good. I think he's doing a wonderful job. Please go out and support him and also please support this show. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you soon.